0: This, what a
1: Hola, amigos, and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. And that's all the Spanish I'm going to give you today, or any day, in fact. <laughs> We're finished with the first round of the Women's Handball World Championship. And it's time to do a little check-in with me, Chris O'Reilly, also joined by Brian Campion. Hello, Chris. And Alex Goulash. ¿Cómo (laughs) estás? Excellent. That's already more than I have. So, Brian, I think you're the expert Spanish speaker here. Give us something.
2: Mm, Hola. Uh, ¿Qué tal? ¿Bale mano? There you go. That's uh... Oh, very good. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) So, <laughs> i could have prepared something chris if you just text me beforehand my god it's so pressure
1: we're coming at this at eight o'clock in the morning which is among the earliest ones we've ever done i think we've tried a seven thirty before didn't go very well uh but that hasn't deterred us from giving this one a go so apologies if the chat is rubbish uh we're gonna i guess talk mostly about the women's world championship preliminary round is over what are your impressions from abroad we'll start with Copenhagen
3: yeah I've definitely watched all the big games Uh, I got Uzbekistan and Puerto Rico in yesterday you know the, the big hitters I think there was a slate of games the early slate of games yesterday that was really really for the diehards we had Uzbekistan Puerto Rico Breaking it down, we had Cameroon, Poland, we had Kazakhstan, Iran, and Angola. Slovenia played a draw, which was actually fun. Um, good to see uh, a good game. But h- how is it on the ground? One thing I've noticed, and I probably wasn't expecting, is the amount of fans mm. so far. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because of the setup of the arenas. They're a little bit smaller there but they're looking good even for these um really mino nation games there's been some fans there we haven't seen any fully empty arenas which
1: is yeah uh, which is good to see from spain where where are you based chris so i've been based in valencia for the first few days which means going to luria which is the group with uh that has two groups every every venue has two groups but that has been the germany hungary group and it's been the russia and Serbia group, and then also went up to Castellon for one day, which had uh, Norway versus Iran and Romania versus Kazakhstan. Um, but on the and now gone up to Barcelona because Granollers is kind of the the hub for the rest of the championship with two main round groups and then all the knockout matches. So going to be in Barcelona now for the next two weeks, and yeah, the it's a good, a good impression of the the fans there. My initial impression when I arrived was, was one of a bit of fear also from like the organizer side or the Spanish side that there wasn't going to be many people there. Uh, I think on the opening day or two, there weren't. I think the prices for the tickets were too high, but then they managed to, to fix it one way or another, either by inviting schools or inviting clubs. And yeah, it's not looked too bad at all. In Luria for the last couple of days, it was fairly well packed. Uh, in Castellon yesterday which uh, Adrian Costeu, former guest on the show uh, working for the IHF as a writer who's Romanian uh, told me that Castellon is the like Romanian capital outside of Romania which is really handy because Romania were playing there and they weren't even placed there so yesterday there was a completely packed crowd for that game against Norway and a great atmosphere in there so yeah I think they've actually done fairly well I think what you said about the arenas not being too big—I think they're all like four or five thousand uh, fans—makes a, a big difference because you can fit one or two thousand in the main stand facing the TV, which which is what they do, and then they stick the media behind uh, the TV cameras are on that same side. It looks a lot better.
2: I think the big question uh, we're we all going to get to now—it's something you touched on in that article you wrote for Biller, is the obviously the new the new format of. Uh, this championship uh do you want to get into that now or do anything else you want to say chris before we get into that
1: what, what did you make of it? what was your impression brian um the opening few days well i
2: mean it's it's gone fairly under the radar i don't know if that's something to do with ihf losing their instagram page directly before the the tournament but uh <laughs> um it kind of seems like
3: hashtag <laughs> <laughs> free handball <humble> hour
2: <laughs> <laughs> it kind of seems like from the generally on 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 uh Twitter and other social media platforms. It's kind of been a a little bit low key so far. And I don't know whether that's to do with people had just looked at the first group of matches and thought, okay, I can, I can, I can start watching that once we hit the main round. Um, I don't really know why, but it's been kind of, uh, dull online, I would say. Apart from a few feel good stories, like I think probably the biggest one is probably the after the Iran game. Um, when the Iranian goalkeeper picked up player of the match and the video for that alone, I think was like 300,000 views on, on, on Twitter, which is, which went, I suppose, in itself quite viral. So it's been from the outside a lot of hammerings and, uh, some feel good stories. I think that's kind of been pretty much the, <laughs> the summary from, from my perspective anyway.
3: I, th- I think just on the feel good stories, I think we're stretching feel good here um again you know when, when we look at previous feel good stories they tend to come from big performances from small nations where they really do make a difference and um, and cause a shock or put in some sort of surprise game where you're like okay these guys really earned it these people really earned it you know the the field goal story with that Iran game. Yes, um, it was a beautiful moment, but the final score was forty one nine, and the goalkeeper who got the player of the match made seven seven saves. You know, it's of course those seven saves included three fast breaks against Norwegians. You know, that's amazing. But, you know, it's it's a real stretch on feel good. And, you know, people are saying, you know, this is going to inspire a generation of, of Iranian girls. And yes, in a way, for, for Iran, <clears throat> for a, an Islamic country like that to participate in a women's championship is incredible. Um, the, I, I don't think we can underestimate the hard work those players and that team would have had to go through to even be at the championship but they've lost 41-9 um that's it's just a stretch when you when you talk about feel good
2: i think it's probably the definition of feel good i mean i think the video itself made people feel good if you know what i mean uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's where my my uh, kind of uh, looking at it kind of stopped but i know what you mean it's kind of like yeah you're not getting the a boost from a, sh- a kind of a shockingly good performance from a team that no one ex- that no one expected. It's been just loads of wipeouts, apart from maybe uh China or Congo, for example, who I think have played pretty well. So yeah, I I, I understand what you're saying, but I think it, it 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 did make people feel good in that in that respect. But I don't know. I do wonder when I look at it from the outside. I do wonder about the product that you're trying to show to people. So when people Go, oh, look, there's a handball world championship on. <clears throat> and we know our best friends from, uh, I just, the guys from, uh, Barstool Sports or whatever they're called, Barstool Sports came into my mind. They might think, oh, let's watch the, the women's, uh, handball world championship and then tune into, uh, Norway, Iran or whatever, or Ubekistan versus whoever and see them getting absolutely hockeyed. So I do wonder about the product itself. While it is nice to see all these, teams playing um at a world championship what are you trying to say about the sport being an elite sport itself when you qualify for a world championship and you have these the whole first round of games you have loads and loads of hammerings and i do wonder about that
3: yeah i think i think chris you, you made some really good points in your article um and if anyone hasn't seen it uh do check it out on uh strikes builder um you broke it down really well and it's probably a bit shocking to look at see that number of 61 percent of games ending
1: in a score line um or a score difference of greater than 10 goals yeah 64.5 percent so almost almost two-thirds of the games which is um, which is pretty incredible and uh, it was it, I, and as i said in the article i mean i don't want to uh, give away too many spoilers you have to go over to the website and <laughs> read it all yourself but um I just wanted to kind of put it in some context because, you know, we can say it's terrible, but, you know, people were also saying that January's preliminary round and some of the main round was terrible, that there were so many teams getting smashed. But um, when we take the 10 goal mark between sides, which, um, although is not perfect, uh, is a good indicator of what a, a comprehensive victory is Uh only 11 of 46 matches so 23.9 percent in the men's world championship in january finished that way and the women's uh, world championship from 2019 was basically smack bang in the middle at 41.6 so it's a huge increase in one-sided matches and you know, there there was a lot of I said snarky comments. There was a lot of snarky comments over the last few days on social media, particularly from the Scandinavians, basically saying, "Okay, now the World Championship starts uh, when we're playing when Denmark are playing against South Korea or Norway against Romania or Sweden against the Netherlands." Which, by the way, was a fantastic game. That uh, <laughs> was a really good game. But yeah, and so my solution, I'm going to lay it out, and uh, I've seen a lot of potential solutions for this World Championship. I think the reasons behind some of the one-sided games are are not just the quality of the teams, but I think they haven't been given a fair run at it when you think about COVID. And when you think about the, uh, let's say, the second or third tier of women's handball as a whole. But this is a way to allow them to do it. If you want to have all 32 teams, just keep it that way. That's fine. But change the uh, format a little bit. Begin the competition a few days earlier in one venue, which wouldn't be that much of a, let's say a financial burden, because you're going to have one venue have the President's Cup anyway, just have it a bit earlier. And we see this already in other competitions like the Cricket World Cup, for example, um, where they have an opening round before the big teams come in. And that's what you do. You have 12 lowest ranked teams, four groups of three, the top team from each group qualify for the, first main round which is then a 24 team competition and don't have it like the old world championships where again a bunch of teams go through have it in groups of four top two qualify like in the men's euro at the moment so there's a bit of danger a bit of jeopardy straight away and then uh, you have the big teams playing against each other already from the first round and the teams that don't qualify for that 24 team tournament playoff in the president's cup all of those 12 teams get five matches no matter what and they might actually get a chance to compete against teams at their own level at the beginning of the championship when they're at full strength when they could probably show their best uh which is what we don't get to see at the president's cup all the time and i feel that would be a big benefit not just for them primarily for them because that's why these competitions are expanded uh but also for the bigger nations as well
2: yeah it's one of the the biggest problems with the president's cup the way it is at the moment is you have a lot of these teams who got battered anyway going into play against each other Mm -hmm. and you often end up a lot of really really messy matches whereas if it's kind of like a pre-qualification thing as you said they have something to play for and then when they do get to the main tournament um there is something to play for to for everybody involved so it seems like a win-win so congratulations chris on this uh Wonderful uh, discovery. <laughs> we'll be thanking you in two years' time.
1: <laughs> I doubt they will. <laughs> but,
3: but I think the question is, like, should, of course, the World Championship is something that um, is generally used to grow handball. Um, and it's a, it's a good way to get it to countries um, on a global scale. But should the World Championship be that? Or should it be the best
2: teams competing? Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate topic because does it help the smaller nations really develop at all when you're playing when you're getting battered every two years? And I, I don't I don't really particularly think so. Does it?
1: I mean, there have been some examples like Brazil. You know, they it was only in the nineties and probably early two thousands even that they were getting battered by double digit scores and and barely getting over ten against the European sides and. You know, people saw the potential in Brazil, and they they took a drastic route to success. Then they had this uh, collaboration with Hippo Niederösterreich and created a team that way. But then by twenty thirteen, they were world champions. So it, there is the potential there, but whether that's going to be the case in in Iran or Puerto Rico, uh, it's really hard to know. But I think. Yeah, the best thing for them is not to get battered right at the beginning, is to, to compete against teams at a, a similar level and then allow the, the best of those to emerge. To be honest, I think, to answer my question, I think it's
3: actually okay uh, to use the World Championship to grow handball because mm. we have the European Championship. And everyone knows, um, apart from probably Brazil, uh, on the women's side at least, Uh, south korea sometimes it is the european teams that are going to dominate and we do have a competition every two years where we can truly say these are the top teams competing against each other um so why not use the world championship to grow humble in uh, the wider world to give these countries an opportunity and i agree that an opportunity isn't uh two games against Norway and Russia where they get smashed by 30. Um the your format does <clears throat> lend itself to some development to some, you know, when you're looking at a country and the country's media um covering a team like this the you know, a win an early win to build some hype is so much more valuable then a President's Cup run and a President's Cup win. So if the World Championship is being used to grow handball, then why not format it in a way that really gives these teams an opportunity to develop, to put their best foot forward? Um, And at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the top European teams anyway, for now. But maybe... Uh, we have an opportunity to change that.
1: And think about, like, oh, this was the main kind of motivation for me thinking about this format. Is like, imagine Fatima Khalili, the Iranian goalkeeper, the 18 sh- saves she had against Romania. Imagine that was against Puerto Rico uh, to win their opening game. And that is like, that It gives so much more than it's like, wow, 18 saves, but they still lost by 25 goals. More like 18 saves, but they've won. Or look, at, take it on the men's side. Gauthier and Vumbi are nominee for World Men, Men's Player of the Year. If he'd got his perfect seven out of seven in the first game for a victory, uh, that would be even bigger than uh, than in a uh, a morale boosting loss. And uh, I think that's the the key reason behind it. But we are we are being very European centric here. But I look at Group Four lads. Group 4 and Brazil, Japan, and Argentina all battling it out for the quarterfinals. Here is one group where we have had some some non-European teams take it to the, uh, I guess we could say the lower-ranked European nations, but in one case, it's the bronze medalists from the Euro, Croatia. So we had uh, Japan beat Croatia in the preliminary round, which was uh, a really good victory for them. Croatia... Dealing with some COVID cases, as did Austria when they lost to Argentina. But we can't dwell on that too much because when you're losing, you're always you've always got injuries, or he says you've always got COVID cases. But you have to go and uh, get the job done. Still on the court, you can only beat what's in front of you, and that's what uh, Japan, Argentina, and Brazil as well, who are top of the main round group alongside Spain now have put themselves in a position to do. And Alex, you stopped me in the last podcast before I got too excited about this main round group. But you remember, I was going to say it's a golden opportunity for one of these teams to get to the quarterfinal. And this is what I was talking about.
3: Yeah, it's a golden opportunity, but it's it's actually kind of like a, a bit of a pity because uh, Brazil, Japan, and Argentina have um, shown themselves to be uh, quality sides, Brazil especially. And I think Brazil are a level above Japan and Argentina. So... In essence, where we do see a little bit of a, um, well, I, I think that's giving props to Bar- uh, Brazil, and you know, Croatia are coming into the main round with zero points. Um, they are missing Mitjevic, so let's see what um, they could come with. But really, again, looking at the main round groups, the comp- for me the competitive one is the is Group Three. Um, I I think that one is the most open. Um, mm-hmm. with Hungary, South Korea, and Germany and Denmark, uh, vying for those first two places. Um, Hungary and Germany played a re and Germany have been quite impressive actually so far. Um, they've flown a little bit under the radar, and they go into that group with um four points, but I think there's a lot that can happen between those four teams um and the other one there's always there's always a game in the first group stage that decides a, a quarterfinal place and that game was netherlands versus sweden <laughs> um but in this case, they drew so it but didn't think-
1: decide anything <laughs> <laughs>
3: but but that but that was like it's it's one of those cases where we have yeah. this game that you know uh, Netherlands and Sweden had you know destroyed uh, their opposition in the first two matches and were pl- basically playing their first game of the tournament to potentially decide a quarterfinal place um because the, the main round group they're in you would assume um, that, well, Romania may be the only uh, roadblock there, but it it comes down to the game between each other for that second um, uh, group spot. Okay, maybe I'm being a bit too obvious with all this, and both Netherlands and Sweden can take points off Norway. Um, But I think a win there for either of those teams would have probably given them a... Uh, a spot in the quarterfinal especially because of the the head-to-head advantage there but that one's wide open as well so a lot to play for
1: yeah i like the um you know group two as you said and funny yesterday netherlands sweden such a good game uh, a thrilling end and both teams in their post-match interviews were quite kind of kind of disappointed kind of relieved not to have lost but were like damn we probably should have won that one Now we're going to have to do something against Norway and it's not a position you want to uh, be going into the main round with. I think group one is, um, I mean, it looks fairly straightforward with France and the Russian Handball Federation top of the group now, but that is a fully European group. And having seen a lot of these teams in action like Serbia, Poland, and also Montenegro, who gave France a bit of a shock uh, yesterday, the loss in the end, but gave them a good push. Uh, and Slovenia with uh, Anna Gross and some good young players, it could be, it could be some um, random results there that shake things up a little bit. Uh, and with the Russian team, they looked really good against Serbia yesterday, but they are very young and um, I'd say untested at this level. So there could be, uh, could be a few st- uh, stumbling blocks along the way for those two, and. Uh, yeah, I'm not so. Uh, group three, you thought was particularly interesting. I'm not so sure about the South Koreans in this tournament. I think they've kind of gone gone for a full reset, you know, with focusing on the Olympics. Um, Germany's win over Hungary was huge for them, um, like the first time in a, a number of years that they managed to not blow a close game, and that was the the main takeaway for them. It was like, oh, we actually won one of these, which has been their major downfall over the years. Uh, and so, if they manage to um, not blow it against Denmark, they should be through to the quarterfinals.
3: Thankfully, they came up against uh, Hungary, who are the queens
1: of blowing important games in championships. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was. I was watching the game. I was like, Ah, oh, neither of these teams are very good at winning these matches. What's gonna- <laughs> I was fully expecting an own goal in the final second to make it a draw. <laughs> But,
2: uh, no, Germany held out to win that one. But uh, the Hungarian side is very young, isn't it? I mean, they seem to have... um, I mean, it seems to be a very... In in, in one sense, a very inexperienced squad compared to what they they would normally feel.
1: We say that a lot about the Hungarian side, but they've gone even younger again. I mean, there's only eight of the Olympic squad from this summer that's in the team uh, for one reason or another. So, yeah, they are very young again. But uh, they did fairly well. They've got... They've got spirit, those young Hungarians. And now we will move on to our interview for the podcast. And uh, interviews at this championship are, well, they're easy enough to come by, but not easy enough to come by without uh, a mask, which is uh, the main reason why the mix zone audio is so terrible and probably won't be using any of this at the championship. I did get an opportunity, though, to uh, record outdoors with Kristina Lisztjevic, from serbia who's a really interesting character and uh, someone who i think we've been thinking about getting on the podcast for a while who's not just an established player at the top level for over a decade now but also is a bit of a singer songwriter we talked about that and the championship and the new luck serbian squad days into the World Championship now, what are your opening impressions of the, your performances and the new team as well?
0: Yeah, I'm actually very happy. I'm happy first of all about our energy. I think uh, girls are uh, pretty young but very uh, very happy to be here. I think they appreciate them chance and uh, they're hard workers. These two match beh- matches behind us show some results.
1: And we spoke very briefly after the first game and you revealed that you only had one training session before playing that first game yep. with the team and it was the first chance you had to actually really see how the girls are playing and to get a feel for them. Now you've had a second game behind and I guess a more comfortable game. How do you feel that has developed your relationship with the players?
0: I'm, I'm very thankful uh, that they bring me here to be part of this group because um, I appreciate... Even, you know, when you are a player and you are training every day and then someone else came uh, instead of you here and she didn't do any training, It's it sounds, it's not very fair. But I'm very happy that I'm here with them and uh, day by day we are working uh, every every day for a muscle to recover on the good way. They're also taking care about me, how much I'm standing on the field and how long I'm playing and and uh, how, how it's going and everything. And we have some trainings as well. So day by day, uh, I'm, I'm very satisfied. And the most important is that there is no pain. And with the trainings, we are finding good relationship between each other.
1: And with Serbia over the years, there's always been topics with players, some of the big name players not joining the team or taking breaks from the team, depending on the coaches or the situation. You've always been a a consistent part of the squad, almost uh, no matter what. I mean, it feels like your commitment to the team uh, isn't really shaky. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about how you approach playing with the national team and and what it means to you in this regard?
0: Well, I, I was not... All the time in, I had uh, like uh, I think two years uh, pause between, uh, but uh, between then and now. But uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always saying yes to my national team, and uh, for me, uh, I feel very proud to be here and present our country uh, as better we can. You know, so um, yeah, I'm always crossing fingers for some results. I don't, I'm always hoping for the best, and I'm always like deep inside of myself seeing us far you know so sometimes it's good sometimes and bad but uh, we never give up and uh, i hope one time before i stop with national team it will uh, give some good results you know that you can say goodbye with some i don't know nice uh, results a medal i um, uh, a medal. <laughs> but that i would be the best.
1: Yeah. And there's been a lot of hopeful moments as well with the team. I mean, the, the last World Championship, for example, showed a lot oh. of potential yeah. for what could happen. And then there was the disappointment of the Euro then last year. When you're coming into a championship like this, also looking at the a lot of the new players in the squad, uh, how do you think that this team compares to the teams you've played with in recent years?
0: Well, I, I guess that Coach by calling someone have some idea what he really wants this year so no matter who is coach and no matter how but they always have them way of work so like uh, this world championship in Japan it ends very nice we didn't have some small luck uh, in the end of the match uh, I think it was Norway but um, yeah We have been very proud about our results. But like this, every year, I guess, uh, each coach who's coming, it it has some idea about what kind of players he wants and what exactly is his goal and how he wants to play. And then he's choosing players by his systems, for example.
1: And with Urash, the coach, I mean, he's had a lot of, I guess, a reputation with Krim in the past and with the Slovenian team, with working with a lot of young players and trying to develop talent in that way how have you seen his work with the younger players in the team and, and does that reputation come across
0: Well, I have been working uh, with him in uh, in Hungary in one club that we played together and uh, we have really nice connection he's a really hard worker coach uh, he spends a lot of uh, um, his hours per day uh, by by uh, Uh, watching uh, videos and analyzing players and uh, analyzing people against who we are playing. I'm very happy with him, me personally. And I can see other girls as well. And uh, uh, Krim had a really nice time with him as well, uh, especially with young players. I think that uh, I love working with him, I work with him and I think other girls as well. So for the moment we are happy. For the moment we are happy and we will see how long he can stay here and how long how big results he can make
1: it seems like you have a very dynamic relationship with him i was watching in that first game when you came on almost every single time there's discussions between the two of you and talking about how you want to play the next attack or Uh, about how the last attack goes what kind of things are you talking about exactly
0: yeah, I think he sees the best, you know, from a little before when you are close to the defense then it's uh, you don't see that good what you exactly can do, but sometimes he's really giving you good advice like maybe you should try six and then this is like go one against one here or there, you know, or someone needs to come in or maybe try to uh, push them to go faster or something like that, but uh, he always have some kind of advice what he think or what I think, and it's it's nice relationship if you can talk with someone about that.
1: So you prefer that kind of way. You don't need to just focus on yourself in the game. You're happy to talk about the the situations you're facing in defense.
0: Yeah, this is mostly what he's like. Uh, you know, from it's it starts from the middle. So uh, I was starts from the middle, like action that he wants. He's like, OK, do that and then work for this person or this person or for yourself. So, yeah, I like this way of communication and and that's that, that works good. And so
1: yesterday you had a very comfortable win over Cameroon or a high scoring win in the end. And it's been a big topic in this championship for the last few days about the expansion to 32 teams and whether you know that it should be like this whether the teams here should be playing against the likes of the big European teams I and mean, for you being on the court I think that's the most important perspective to get the actual players and how they're perceiving it so what is your perspective on it?
0: Well it's it. I think we have good schedule right now because we had very important match like as a first one then we had like let's say one easier maybe to get uh, to give a chance to the uh, to players who didn't Feel yet how is it to be on the field and and i i'm happy that every each player also scored this day and i guess this is also good for the self-confidence for everybody especially for the young ones so uh, everybody get enough minutes that them body feels good and then we need to just put full focus on the russian team who is really playing amazing games uh, in the last period so
1: that's the, the kind of perspective I'm getting a lot from players uh, from the European teams playing against the the weak, so-called weaker teams. That you're focusing on yourself. You don't you don't really care whether you're winning by 20 no. goals in a game like this, and you don't feel kind of disrespected or so.
0: No, uh, it it just goes. You know, like maybe in that moment you are more focused on the fast uh, attack or you know like contrast. There are always some exercises, what you're focused on, or maybe on yourself, or maybe to not get injured or, you know, like many things, but there's always something good, of course. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not uh, unrespectful to win with a lot of goals, it's just, it just happens.
1: Uh, speaking about the, the overall tournament, I mean, there's a, with the young team, uh, is there a certain kind of goal you're looking for here? Certain level in the competition? I mean, the, taking it game by game is always the obvious answer to this, but uh, is this something you've talked about before the championship? This is what we want to achieve?
0: No, actually this time, no. It's a uh, it's pretty young team and we didn't know how we are functioning together. So through this preparation part, we try to get feelings between each other and we're trying to respect each other. We're trying to talk a lot and to try to find what is the best for everybody. And we didn't talk exactly how far we would like to go. But I'm completely sure that everybody will be very happy uh, if we pass the first round and then even more happy if we pass the second round. So, of course, you know, you as a sport player, person who is working every day, of course, your goal is always to go as far as you can. But uh, no, we didn't talk about anything like that.
1: I want to ask you a little bit uh, finally about the the other career you have. You said you're a sports person, but also an artist, right? Oh. <laughs> and uh, you had your most recent release was it last year towards the end of the year, um, or the early this year, wasn't it? The the most recent song. From that side of it, like how do you how do you approach it? Is it something that's actively on your mind? Do you try to like take some time every week to work on your music? How 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 does it fit into your life?
0: You know, music is really like that huge part of me that i i cannot live without it but you know every time at home i have my instruments and it's giving me just like kind of like people who are meditating this is kind of meditation for me you know and uh, i really love this part of my life and it's really relaxing me and uh, i don't know um, uh, letting me to put out everything i feel but uh, I do not think in, on the way like, oh, I would like to build up some career uh, for that. or uh, No, I do not still think about this. Uh, of course, I would be very happy if someone would like to work with me because I am working always like a, this part, like a pleasure. But uh, what I am working and what I'm focused on is right now handball and as well uh, business that I have at home. But uh, this is like kind of, I don't know, like pleasure, you know. And sometimes, with the pleasure, you get some nice things, you know.
1: You've, you've managed to mix handball, and particularly in the last song as well, where you had the entire Valtia squad in on the, the music video. It started being played a lot in the arenas as well. I mean, that must have been an odd situation where you've you've heard yourself in the arena, uh, your music being played, and you thought, oh my God, this is, uh, this is odd.
0: Uh, honestly, if uh, my girls are uh, putting in the bus or something like that, then I feel a bit embarrassed, yeah. you know? Like, I'm really like, oh man, I don't want to exist here. But I'm very happy when I see someone uh, tagging me because, oh, uh, I don't know, we are warming up with your song. It's so cool. I-, I love to see that, of course. But if I am there, then I prefer not.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, every every championship, there are always these official songs, right? And uh, I- I've thought to myself, you know, w- w- how great would it be to have an actual athlete who's competing? for example the euro next year which is going to be in uh, your neighboring countries in, in macedonia slovenia and montenegro i mean now uh, we think there's a potential collaboration there or would you die of embarrassment hearing it every single day in the arena
0: that will be that will be so cool imagine that will be so cool and i think pretty historical right i i don't i don't remember that any uh, sport player have been done something like that but that would be very cool actually yeah
1: I mean every time we have the these songs by people who maybe nobody outside of the country knows who they are yeah, yeah but yeah, in yeah. this case uh, everyone would know that it's yeah. coming from nothing in the competition
0: yes, yeah it's gonna be interesting gonna
1: Listen win out. Win thank you very
0: much for I'm seeing that. gonna despite it my five
1: so thank you to Christina and before we wrap up on this pod I think uh, it's time for a little bit of predictions there we did tease about how some of the groups in the main round are interesting one way or another time for our predictions now which which eight teams are going to qualify for the quarterfinals and I'm going to start with Brian
2: Campion Uh, from group one I think France are definitely going to go through and I'm not I think from what I've seen so far I can't See, I don't think Slovenia will beat Russia. So I'll imagine it'll be France, Russia, stay the way it is. Group two, Norway have another cushy start to that group against Puerto Rico. So I, I imagine they're going to have two tough games against Sweden and the Lens, but I'll say it'll be Norway and, oh God, Norway. I'm going to, ah, Norway, Sweden. I'll go for, that's tricky though. That's, that's a, that's a tough one to call. Group three. I'm not convinced about d- Germany just yet. Uh because I think the Hungarians side they came up against were a little bit was a little bit suspect. Not suspect, just a bit young. Uh so I would go for I would go for Denmark and this is taking too long, isn't it, lads? Sorry. I should have just had all my 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 teams ready. <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna go back to what I said. Denmark, Germany. We're gonna leave it the way it is. And no surprises. I think in the last group, we'll have Spain with the, with maximum points and we'll then go for, yeah, I think we'll go for Brazil. Boring predictions. Sorry, lads. Nothing shocking there.
3: Yeah. And, and I think that that might be just the case here that we're going into the main round here and the teams on four points are the ones that will qualify. Um pretty much the same. And I also I, I see the Netherlands actually qualifying uh ahead of Sweden because I think they will beat Norway because that's kind of what they do. <laughs> and I think they they have a bigger chance to get a result against Norway to to go through. Um but otherwise, yeah, top two teams in each group probably coming through there will be some interesting games but uh, if I'm being honest it's that second level of um, European teams that hasn't impressed me too much so far but again I'm basing all of this on pretty much one game because (laughs) so which game was that (laughs) no no one game game for each per per team where where they had to be uh competitive so pretty much basing it on that anything can happen um let's see how it, it progresses it's always exciting to have an argentina brazil game uh in the main group round and always a bit of a pity because uh If anything, I'd like both of those teams to keep progressing, Um, but as it stands, top two teams in each group will go through from my side.
1: So in the end, it's basically just Netherlands or Sweden.
2: Well, I'd Uh, I'd say another one, which would be up a little bit up in the air, would be Denmark in group in group three. So. Their game against Hungary, the first game of the match, that could be a bit of a, a, bit of a banger. This should easily beat the Czech Republic. But then they come up against Germany in the, last round, in the last game. So I think that's one which is maybe a little bit up for contention as well.
1: Yeah, they, that's true. If Denmark lose to Hungary, then you, you have the potential for this three-way tie at the end of the group, uh, which is always fun for the handball mathematicians. Just on Group 2, because Sweden play Norway first like uh, before Netherlands. So Sweden-Norway is in the second day of games on the 11th. I think they're going to have a better chance to get a decent result against them because Norway in the final day of the main round are not going to blow it against the Netherlands. (laughs) I think that's the problem for the Netherlands, they're playing Norway in the final day of the main round. Maybe we'll catch up again just before the quarterfinals uh, when we know a little bit more about these teams and uh, what they're capable of. Of at this level, but still a lot of interesting stuff to uh, to have been discussed today. Thank you very much, boys, and also Alex. We're gonna have our fan poll for the men's world player of the year, right? Exactly. We yes we'll definitely do that. <laughs> just, <laughs> Alex has it ready to go. He's just like yeah, he's like waiting waiting for the raging bull to get even more angry and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and let it loose. I've been- <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much everyone for listening. Uh, We'll catch you again soon. Goodbye.